Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Pushkin. The other week, I was being pre-interviewed for a chat with Podcast Playlist with Leah Simone Bowen, a CBC show that features, yes, podcasts. And a pre-interview is what some sophisticated shows do. They talk with a guest uh, before they record the conversation so everyone has an idea of what's going on. You will not be surprised to learn that we don't conduct pre-interviews here on Not Lost Chat. So I was being pre-interviewed, and the producer asked me who my favorite travel writers were. And my mind went completely blank. The name Nabokov jumped in my head. But as far as I know, he never really wrote about travel. And then I found myself saying MFK Fisher, but she was a food writer who did write about France and and California, but not really on the nose. I I then said something like, well, I, I don't really distinguish between what types of things people write about. I, I, I just have favorite writers. Something milly mouth like that. And for a moment, I realized how hard it is to be on the other side of questions. It's funny, when I interview someone, I often think they just have to answer questions. They don't have to think of questions. They don't have to fake laugh. That It's much easier on that side. But it, that actually isn't really the case. And this pre-interview reminded me of that. So I I lumbered through it all, and at the end, the producer said something sassy like, well, at least now you'll have an idea of what you're going to be asked when we're conducting the interview, or something like that. Then later in the day, as I was coming home from work, walking through the park that separates my apartment from the subway, a book title 
popped into my head. Black Lamb and Grey Falcon by Rebecca West. This book, which was written in 1937, when Europe was descending into war and terror, it's this hulking book about the former Yugoslavia, a place I've spent a lot of time in. And the edition I have is 1,150 pages long. <laughs> it's, it's the size of a cornerstone of a mausoleum, which is appropriate because you will kill yourself if you lug it around on your travel for weeks on end, as I have. If you were to drop it on your foot, you would break your foot and lose any deposit you had on your Airbnb. It's a real backbreaker. It is considered, rightly, one of the best travel logs ever written. Rebecca West herself was a towering journalist and cultural critic who is also known for covering the Nuremberg trials for The New Yorker. And her type of writing in this book, which it wasn't just a personal journey, she traveled with her husband, it, it wasn't just a dry history, it, it wasn't just reportage, but it was her applying her prodigious mind as she moved to this foreign land, trying to understand something about human beings. And as it would turn out, it became a document that gave just insight into this moment in Europe before everything changed. So I was pleased with myself. I was like, great, when I sit for the actual interview with Podcast Playlist, I'm going to name drop this fantastic author, hit people to this cool book, which maybe they haven't heard of, help raise the profile of this wonderful author. And then when I sat down for the show, I was never asked the question. I was asked about the favorite places I visited. I was asked about Andrew Sean Greer. All perfectly fine, pleasant conversation, honored to be on the show. But I felt like I was a suitor left holding a bouquet of flowers behind my back with no opportunity to present them. Until now. Rebecca West, ladies and gentlemen, investigate. And if she was alive today, I would have her on this series, but she's not. So instead, this week, I've invited another fantastic female travel writer on the show, Cheryl Strait, who walked 1,000 miles up the Pacific Coast Trail and wrote a book called Wild. We'll have a conversation with her, and then she'll also answer etiquette questions when Not Lost gets back. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. 
Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility, meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back to Not Lost Chat, my series of conversations with fellow travelers. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan, and today I am talking with author Cheryl Strayed. And conveniently for us, for me, Cheryl's creative life can be organized into two distinct categories that happen to perfectly align with the show. The first is Life Advisor. Cheryl spent years as an advice columnist for online literary magazine The Rumpus, where she answered questions anonymously in a column called Dear Sugar. And then in 2012, she compiled some of her advice into a book of essays called Tiny Beautiful Things, which became a bestseller and is now being adapted into a TV show for Hulu. So what I'm trying to say is Cheryl is a ringer for our travel etiquette segment, which will be coming up later in the show. But the main reason I wanted to speak with Cheryl is because of her other creative identity, that of travel memoirist. I think that's a word. A few months before she published that collection of essays, she published a book called Wild, 
which is about a year in her early 20s when Cheryl lost her mother to lung cancer, divorced her first husband, started using heroin. And then to get away from it all, she decides to hike more than a thousand miles alone on the Pacific Coast Trail. It makes the premise of Not Lost Season 1 like, you know, Elmo travels across town. Uh, Wild became a huge bestseller and a hit movie starring Reese Witherspoon. And hiking the PCT and writing about it was a journey of self-discovery for Cheryl. So the first thing I asked her when I met up with her was, why do some of us have this impulse to just start moving when big things happen to us? Mm, It's such a great question. There are so many layers of answers that I have to it. I think the first one is just a very, sometimes a very simple and kind of surface impulse, which is to flee, to say, I need to escape this this sorrow or this situation or this scene that, that I associate with things that hurt me. I need to get out of here, get out of Dodge, as they say, right? Mm. We know that like when we go venture out to, to parts unknown and to places that maybe we feel kind of like an outsider or that feel foreign to us or we feel challenged in some way because we aren't at home, we aren't in the comfort zone, we know that in those places we're going to get what we most need at those moments where we feel lost or traumatized or or adrift. And that is a deeper understanding of who we are and what the world is Hmm. and our place in it. You know, when we step outside that comfort zone, literally, which we do every time we travel, we have an opportunity to see ourselves more clearly and and the world more deeply. And do you think that comes from, is it, Um, that we are away from our kind of patterns and the culture that has defined us? Uh, Or is it also we're away from other people who kind of know us and have a certain framework for for processing us? I think it's both. You know, Mm. the pattern thing is real. A pattern is essentially a habit. And and travel shakes us out of that. Literally, from everything from very often the food we eat to the landscape we see when we look out the window or when we go on a hike, um, to, in the case of foreign travel, even the, the language that we hear, right? It's just everything is different, and it has a way of waking us up because we have been broken out of that pattern. But but I think something you say um, about being different, too, uh, because you're away from the people who know you uh, is really powerful as well. Because, of course, the people who know you, uh, they're wonderful people. They, they love you and very often— I mean, some of them. Some of them, but we're very often we rely on them to actually to know us, to be known as a wonderful feeling. It makes us feel secure and treasured and, yes, sometimes awful. But, you know, generally, the people we know make us feel known, right? And that's mm. a good feeling. But that can also turn, you know, on itself. And we realize that sometimes the people we know are the people who have in some ways defined us in ways that we no longer find accurate. Mm. Um, Or sometimes that that we even no longer want to be accurate. For example, when I went alone on my Pacific Crest Trail hike in the summer of 1995, part of it was getting away from this sort of group of 20-somethings I'd sort of been hanging out with. And and I don't blame them for for any of the self-destructive behavior I was doing at that time drinking too much, being wildly promiscuous, um, using heroin. You know, I don't put any of that on the people I was around. And yet those people 
were doing those things with me and they yeah. saw me as part of them. And I was like, this isn't me. You know, mm. this is not my life. And part of my decision to venture away and go hike on the PCT was just saying, like, I'm going to be different. I'm going to put myself in different company. Now, the company I put myself in was my own in the wilderness. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a similar thing can happen. If I had, had more money, I just would have gone to Paris or something. <laughs> <laughs> so you hiked the trail in 1995 when you were 27, and you published your memoir some years later when you were 43. I'm wondering, which was more of a demarcation point in your life, the hike or writing the book and having it be published? Well, without question, the hike, you know, in my life was the demarcation point. You know, I I, I began the trail, honestly, really, really at the lowest point of my life, really just feeling mm. like, what is my purpose and who have I become and what is my meaning? And I didn't remember how strong I was. I didn't remember how brave I was. I didn't know how I was going to make good on my dreams of becoming a writer, you know, and on the course of that trip, as I walked step by step, I sort of taught myself the answers to all those questions. I taught myself, oh, yeah, you are strong. And not because you're like, you know, so victorious or grand or triumphant. It's because you decide to keep going step by step, even when it hurts. And so, you know, yeah. when I got back, finished my hike, I then, you know, went onward in my life in a way that was was different. And of course, writing the book was really powerful because it was like I got to look back and, and essentially like I had to, you know, I had to tell the story and find the meaning in the story, the meaning that wasn't just about my life, but about what it means to be human. And so, of course, that was also a very emotional journey. You know, I learned a lot, but but it didn't change my life in the way that the hike itself did. Am I missing out? Like I, there was an era where I did some, I worked at Yellowstone National Park um, I did do some outback hiking. I did encounter a bear, um, but I'm kind of like, good with that. Like, like <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like I'm happy to look at the stars in the desert, but then I like would like a martini at the Palms Inn. So, right. am I going to be missing out of some fundamental life moments if I just kind of skip out on the great outdoors from here? Yes. Oh, yes. Damn it. <laughs> yes, you are. I mean, though, I have to say, like, I feel I feel for you because I'm really glad I did it when I was young because yeah. it's a lot easier. I mean, that's what that's what amazes me, Brendan. I like look back at that stuff and I'm like, I slept every night, you know, on the ground, just on the hard ground. Like, like You know, now it's like, OK, I've got to have a Tempur-Pedic bed and like four pillows <laughs> and a certain arrangement. And um a sleep mask, you know, I, it's just amazing how rough and tumble I was. But but here's the deal with that. And I think that this is a, a larger truth about travel is that, you know, maybe it's doing what I did and sleeping in the dirt in the wilderness for days on end and, and really being in a situation where, you know, there were no luxuries at all. It was extreme. Like, you yeah. know, let's put it this way. When I would when I would come to, you know, those, those sort of campgrounds in the woods where there's like an outhouse. If if I came yeah. to a campground that had an outhouse, like which in normal life most people are really repulsed by, I felt like I was like the queen of England because I got yeah. to actually sit, the Taj Mahal. you know, on <laughs> <laughs> instead of squatting in the dirt, which I normally did. But you know, I think that that being really uncomfortable almost always is a a really great teacher for us. The times mm. that we have to endure the times that we have to suffer, the times that we have to keep going even when it hurts, 
those are the times that build us and that make us, that I think deepen any trip. And of course, you know, my hike in the PCT was one end of the spectrum, like quite, quite difficult. But even just little things like last summer, my husband and I, we went to Europe for seven weeks. And we had this whole trip like planned from France to Wales to Greece to, you know, all through um, all through Central Europe and, you know, up the Danube and all of these things. We were doing all these things. And our bags never made it with us. And we got COVID. <laughs> so it was like, okay, um, this isn't fun. This is hard. And we are uncomfortable and in a foreign place. And yeah. it, it reminded me of some of those lessons I learned on the PCT, that, that those are the things that sometimes make the trip more interesting. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> maybe I shouldn't say this as the host of a travel show, but it's also, you can just live in New York. You can, <laughs> you can endure great difficulty every day and, uh, and see the worst of humanity and still, you know, get stronger, hopefully, question mark. Absolutely. You know, I think that there is no city more like the wilderness than New York City. I, I, mm. I remember very clearly feeling that way about it. You know, every time I go to New York City, I was like, this is like the wilderness because it's just so – it's everything. It's, it's yeah. everything. <laughs> and but, you're both very connected and very alone, yeah. just like you are in the wilderness. Um, so, so yeah, we're talking about wild. You then – you know, your book, Tiny Beautiful Things, your column, Dear Sugar, which you now do a substack called Dear Sugar. It's now Tiny Beautiful Things, which is a collection from – with some of the early days of of your advice column is now being turned into a TV show. Yeah. I just read starring Catherine Hahn. Like holy cow! Yes, like, could you pick a better person? <laughs> that's incredible. Well, my question is: Do people ever ask you questions about journeys or travel? Oh, I that's know you do this in all sorts of forms. That's interesting. You know, in the in the intervening years, Steve Almond and I had a podcast called Dear Sugars. And it's yeah. an advice podcast. People wrote us letters. And one one thing that came up very often, I mean, more than you would guess, Brandon, is like people are really conflicted about um, location. Like, should I move? Mm. There was this one woman I'll never forget on the podcast. She went to, to Paris and met some like fabulous man. And she's like, we fell in love. And should I move to Paris and be with him? And I was like, of course you should. <laughs> and Steve was like, oh, you know, be careful in this and that. And the other thing, I'm like, I'm like, no, go, go, go. And, um, you know, I remember, too, a letter from somebody who met some hot Italian young man on the beach and they had a fling. And I don't remember what she was asking about it. But I was always like, I w- I'm always on the side of taking risks that involve venturing out. Yes. You know, and I do think that that it is something that a lot of people grapple with. And another thing that I know has come up for people sometimes is like, you know, is travel a good investment? Is this a good way to spend your money huh. or should you be practical? Like I could put, you know, $10,000 in this savings account that I will have in my retirement yes. or I can take $10,000, you know, to Kenya. And I'll just tell you, I've always been the person who will say go to Kenya. Definitely, absolutely. Definitely, I feel like as I when I was younger, you know, corrupted by, you know, Jack Kerouac, etc. I was running around like a maniac. But now, as I'm older, it's even more. I'm feeling more urgency to see everything I can, and and kind of not not because I feel like I'm going to miss out, but because I just know that um, I want to experience all you know all the things, and that our, our our time is a little more limited than maybe we think when we're in our twenties. I see it the same way. Like I I can tell that you're really a kindred spirit when it comes to this 
way of thinking is I do, I actually do think of it as an investment, you know, that like travel has really improved, like it's it's improved my, my well-being. I think I'm a better writer because of travel. I think I'm a better person because of travel. I think I'm a better parent because of yeah. travel. And, you know, it doesn't feel like just like vacation, you know. Usually it's <laughs> about having some kind of adventure or having some kind of going on a journey that's about something deeper than just seeing the sights. And and I believe yeah. in that. Something that maybe everyone knows and thinks about this with you, but I didn't realize until I was revisiting your work, and forgive me for being such a dingbat, but um, Strayed is your, you chose that name. That's right. Which to me, like again, for maybe there's even people encounter you with tiny beautiful things and just assume that's your God-given name. Can you remind us of why you chose it? Yeah. So I was born Cheryl Nyland. My my father's last name was Nyland, and that's what I mm-hmm. was as a kid. And I got married just like scandalously young. No regrets in terms of like I abs- I absolutely loved my first husband, so that was good. But you know we were just young in love, and you know for reasons that are really crazy and useful, we decided to get married. We should have just been each other's mm. boyfriend and girlfriend, but we decided to get married, and we took on each other's names because we were like mm. we're going to be really feminist about it, and I'm going to take on your name, and you're going to take on mine, and we're going to have this really long name that was Nyland Liddig, mm. and um. Mm. So when we got divorced, when I was like 25. I knew that I, I didn't want to go back to being Cheryl Nyland. I was estranged from my dad since I was a young child. He was, you know, not a great dad. He was abusive and just not a good force in my life. And I knew mm. I couldn't drag around this long hyphenated name from my marriage. And, of course, I'm a writer. You know, I'm somebody who thinks a lot about words and a lot about language. And so and my mom was dead. I was really an orphan. I didn't have a father. I didn't have a mother. I didn't have really anything um, except my own life. And I knew that that I needed to move into this new life with a word that would be that would become mine, that would be become my true name. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. it wasn't just some sort of spontaneous thing. I really thought about different words that might define or communicate to myself and the world who I was. And I came upon this word strayed and and I loved the meaning of it. You know, it really is somebody who who moves through the world, motherless and fatherless, uh, somebody who who strays off the, the regular path and finds their way. I think a lot of people hear that word stray and they think like, oh, it's somebody who's lost. And for me, I think it's really somebody who sort of has to blaze their own trail. And when my husband and I got divorced, just on the divorce paperwork, you could write in this form, my name after this divorce will be. And mm. I just wrote Cheryl Strayed. And that's who I you know, became. And what's so funny and interesting to me, Brendan, is so many people who ask about the name are like, well, Stray isn't your real name. And it's like, it is. It's it's the realest name I've ever had. Yeah. You know, like when women get married and take on their husband's name, like nobody says like, well, that's not your real name. Yeah. I particularly like how the word strayed, you know, I think initially the connotation people think, yeah, is something like a stray cat, yeah. something abandoned. But there's a much broader definition about someone who kind of goes off the beaten path yeah. and fears away. And I like how you own that. And then by the force of your success, <laughs> that word is in every bookstore, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's on movie screens, yeah. et cetera. You know, like you, you really you, you took it and made it your own. I love yeah, that my I, name is a sentence. Cheryl Strayed. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I'm, I'm going to have to think about what my name would be if I were to name myself. It would 
probably be something like Brendan Naps, Brendan Snacks. I'm gonna I'm gonna need to workshop it. In the meantime, we're gonna take a quick break, but when I come back, hopefully you will help me answer some travel questions. Stick around. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer, So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle-to-everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G-connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back to Not Lost Chat. Today, my guest is writer Cheryl Strayed. And Cheryl, on this show, like my old show, which you also visited, we solicit etiquette questions, travel etiquette questions. And when I initially decided to talk with you, I wasn't going to ask you to answer questions. 
But when people found out I was talking with you, they immediately started giving me questions. So I'd like to run some of these by you, if that's okay. <laughs> okay. Real. I mean, yeah, I'm an advice columnist. You know, you got You are. Ask. No, I know. But, I saw, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's like the comedian at dinner and you're like, be funny. Um, <laughs> all right. So I have a few questions from in-house here at Pushkin. Try okay. to help them out. Drum roll. This first one, I really, I, I like and I'm eager to hear your answer. The question comes from Jordan. And Jordan writes, uh, how do you know when a moment you experience in your travels is worth writing down? What's different about it that makes it worth remembering? Well, I think there's a, there are really a couple stages to writing. And the first one is I think you should write everything down. I think you should write down everything mm. you're thinking and feeling and the small things, the little gestures, the, the person sitting next to you in the cafe, the, the kind of ice cream you're eating. All of those details are what make a really rich portrait. One thing I'm doing, Brendan, that's been so interesting to me is I just decided to transcribe all my journals. So I used to keep a journal pretty religiously from about the age of 19 until my late 30s, kind of 40-ish. And so I have like, mm -hmm. you know, like really two decades of, of journals. And just I'm sitting there wow. in front of my computer and I'm transcribing them. I'm just typing into a Word document everything I wrote. And, and at 19... I got married, <laughs> like I got married a month before my 20th birthday, and my ex-husband and I, we went to Ireland. We would had these like student work visas, and I got a job in a vegetarian cafe in Dublin, and it was 1988. Hmm. And I have these journals, and it's been so amazing to transcribe them. And I'm so glad that I that I took my own advice, the advice I'm giving Jordan, which is just write everything down, you know, take note, make a make a word portrait, you know, as often as you can about not just what you see and smell and hear, but what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what's making you happy, what's making you sad, what are you remembering about home, you know, all, everything you can put it on the page because it later becomes a treasure if you're a writer. Like you're like, how does this experience of this young woman for the first time in a foreign country, how does that tell a more universal story? And then you start to make, you know, decisions about like what's the most interesting or what's what are the universal threads? That's what I always look for in writing. Like, for example, in Wild, the point of Wild isn't like I'm such an interesting person because I walked a really long way on this wilderness trail. <laughs> you know, really, I think the reason that Wild resonates with so many people is I told a deep story about, like, what does it mean, like, to have to bear the unbearable, like, to carry that heavy backpack through that very rugged terrain. And, and I had to keep moving forward even when it hurt. And it's a deeper story about not just my journey, but what journey means. Journey is all about figuring out how you can do what you think you can't do. My problem, which I have every day of my life, and certainly when I'm in, in, in traveling, is I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I want to have a coffee. Um, maybe I want to exercise. Maybe I want to run. Maybe I want to experience this like, oh, I want to watch the sunrise over this thing. Maybe da da. When do you write? Like, like this, this <laughs> idea of like, write everything down. It's like, what, what? I'm too busy living. Like, yeah. when? And I don't have a good memory. My, my brain is a sieve. And so... Yeah, when do you write? Well, I think that in in both life and and maybe especially in travel, you know, where you feel sort of like I'm here to do all these different things and see all these different things. Part of experiencing a place and part of living I think a balanced and healthy life is having time for um, 
you know, contemplation and reflection. Yeah. And, you know, to yep. me, I mean, honestly, one of my absolutely favorite things to do when I travel is, you know, wander around the city or the town or the village or whatever and just find a place to sit and write, you know, it, yeah. whether it be a cafe or a bar or a, a mountainside or a stone wall, you know, in some little funky part of town, you know, just take those 10 minutes to just jot down what you're thinking. Yeah. And, you know, of course, in life, for me, in in a strange way, it's actually harder for me to do in life than when I'm traveling because I do try to make that kind of contemplative space part of the trip. But um, in life, yeah, you just you actually have to make the same commitment to that as you do to everything else. If you decide that yeah. you want to be somebody who exercises most days, you exercise most days. And if you decide you want to be somebody who writes most days, you write most days. Oh, man. Oh, man. Listen, darn it. Uh, way easier said than done. <laughs> um, okay, this next question comes from Anna. And Anna asks, what are the best shoes to bring on a non-hiking trip? <laughs> Do you just suck it up and wear ugly yet comfy sneakers at a chic European museum? What if it rains? I love this intersection of the practical and the not so practical. Oh my goodness. This and this is such a really hard question. So Anna, like I absolutely 100% feel this question and I have lived through it for <laughs> many years now because it is especially for women, I will say. You know, we do have to make this choice very often between you know, real comfort and looking at least somewhat decent, you know, and cool mm. and, you know, cute with whatever outfit we're wearing. But I've I've solidly landed on this truth and I've learned it the hard way. Anyone who's read Wild knows how much mm. I have struggled with shoes and what a price I paid for it, losing my toenails, is that, um, you know, comfort really matters a lot. Because, of course, you can go to that museum and and you won't be able to focus on the art uh, if all you're thinking about is how much your feet are killing you. So often, the most impressive person of all is the person who doesn't conform, who doesn't look like they wore those shoes because they want you to think that they look cute. They wore those mm -hmm. shoes because that's what they feel good at. And to me, like, that's the best look of all. When you see somebody who's really like comfortable in their body and at ease and able to, you know, move in a way that makes them feel good. And it begins with the shoes. So go in the direction of comfort and own it all the way and until you look like the coolest woman in the room. Here's another move. How, how about a middle way, which is I've done this. You could go to a vintage store. Like you could buy – you don't have to travel with – sexy footwear necessarily or, or good footwear. But if you're going to a very fancy meal or invited in some event where it's dress up, you know, I love going through vintage stores in like Rome or other places and you can maybe quickly assemble a kind of glamorous outfit that you maybe wouldn't feel bad leaving behind. Sure. I mean, one thing I did last summer, I was in Europe for this like seven-week trip that included all these different things, like everything from hiking in Wales to going to like a really fancy, very, you know, Hollywood party in Greece. I mean, really, really well-dressed people. And I was like, listen, I'm not going to be able to like compete with that or wear, you know, stilettos or, you know, wasn't interested in that. But I do need something right. to wear with dresses. And I did exactly what you suggested. I mean, it's like, okay, I'll buy a pair of like 
kind of fancy flip-flops when I'm actually in this beach town that I'm going to on this island, right? And you can like have that look. It's not fancy, but it's a little less clunky than the big comfy, you know, sneakers that you might wear all day long at the museum. So switch it up. Switch it up. The only danger there is I've made the mistake. I I had my luggage lost in Portugal uh, this summer. Mm. And you find yourself at a Benetton and you can end up buying like a mock turtleneck sleeveless shirt. Like I end up looking like this Euro, (laughs) (laughs) like this Euro club kid, which is definitely not my default look. So you got to be careful. You might go native. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I made a similar mistake. I bought like a very bright green kind of like muumuu sort of dress. Um, You know how they always have those in like BT places. And then I saw photographs of myself and I was like, what, what was I thinking? Like, I just, what was going yeah. on? I know. Mm. All right. I, I, I have uh, one last question. This question comes from Leah, and I think you're uniquely suited to answer it. And the question is, what types of books are best to bring on vacation? Mm-hmm. That's a great one. That's a great yeah. one. You know, it also makes me smile because when mm-hmm. I was – hiking the trail, first of all, books were like my only companion because I very often would go days without seeing another person. So books really, really were important. They were like my only portal into somebody else's mind, you know, other than my own. And because I was a backpacker and carrying the weight of one book at a time, as I read most of the books, I would just burn them, which just seemed like so sacrilegious. Mm. You know, as somebody who mm. who loves books, it was like, yep, I'm just going to light this book on fire and burn it. But I didn't want to carry the pages, so I did that. And at the end of Wild, I have this list, you know, the books I burned on the PCT. And so many people have asked me, like, did you really think, you know, really hard about which books to bring? And And what's funny is I didn't. I just really, like, walked along my bookshelf and grabbed various books from it that I'd had but, but and had never read and had been meaning to read and put them in each of my resupply boxes. And resupply boxes are basically packages friends would send you at different points on your trip. I loved every book I read on the PCT. And there was something really cool about serendipity of just saying, mm-hmm. you know, I have never gotten around to reading William Faulkner's As I Lay Dying. And I put it into one of my boxes and it became one of my favorite books. There's also sometimes, you know, it's really cool to to curate a list of books that, like, are in some way about the place you're visiting or set in the place you're visiting or, or written by people who are from the place you're traveling to. And that can be really cool, too, to actually try to deepen the lived experience you're having by reading books um, about it as well. Yeah. I went to Iceland a couple of years ago, and I had never read the literature of the country. And I found this novel called Miss Iceland by this author who I absolutely love, and I'm not going to say her name because <laughs> I just don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, but it's called it's Miss Iceland, Iceland yeah. and it's just this really wonderful novel set in Iceland and many decades ago. But it's like it gave me a, a sense of the country and the place and the sensibility that that deepened my experience. Then when I got to Iceland, I kept remembering this this main character in, in the novel. And, you know, she worked at this hotel in Reykjavik. And, and I like, I walked by these historic hotels and I'd think, oh, that that's like where the character worked. Like, and there was something that felt um, really wonderful about going to the country, having read something that was set there, written by somebody who is from there. Yeah, it's it's like knowing a yeah. cool person there already. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you can open it up. And for you know, you. I think books. Yeah. You know, never. I mean, I would never think of traveling anywhere without a book. 
because when you have a book, you always have a companion. I think that that can be really grounding to have just like that sort of touchstone of a story that you're involved in while you're also in this, you know, new world. Well, I think the books you took in Wild, they were literary works. And I, I think there's a lot to be said for a beach read or getting some genre reading in but I do think I, – I will often bring like – I feel like I've only read uh, Nabokov like on right. vacation or or James Salter yeah. or some of these kind of uh, heavier hitters because sometimes it's harder for me to crack open and get in there. But if it's the one English language book you have in your pack, you're going to really kind of uh, steep in it in a way that you maybe wouldn't if it's just uh, you're reading it on the subway. I agree. Uh, I, I don't – like the whole yeah, idea work. that a beach read is like a light read. I, I go for the heavy books because also when you're on a, a trip, you often have more hours than in the day to read. So you, you can sink in. Um, Cheryl Strait, thank you so much for chatting with me. I'm excited to check out um, your show when it comes out on Hulu, and I'm excited to share this with my audience. Um, thank you so much for taking thank the time. Thank you, Brendan. It was really a pleasure to talk to you, and I, I have to say it, happy trails. <laughs> that was Cheryl Strayed. The Tiny Beautiful Things TV show will be out on Hulu this spring. And if you haven't read Wild or haven't looked at it in a while, I encourage you to go back. It is a lot grittier than I remembered. It is a pretty good read that confirms my decision um, not to go into the great outdoors anymore. So that's it for this edition of Not Lost Chat. If you have travel questions that you want answered in a future episode, we got one more left for this series, please email them to me at notlost at pushkin.fm or ping me at bfsnacks on Twitter. Not Lost Chat is produced by Jordan Bailey, who, as we all know, travels a lot more than me. In fact, she's heading to CDMX in just a couple of weeks. The show is written and hosted by me, Brendan Francis Noonan. Booking assistance came from Laura Morgan. This episode was edited by Julia Barton with assistance from managing producer Jacob Smith. Our mix engineer and co-producer is the brilliant and wonderful Sarah Bruguer. Not Lost is a co-production of Pushkin Industries, Topic Studios, and iHeartMedia. It was developed at Topic Studios. Executive producers include me, Brendan Francis Noonan, Christy Gressman, Maria Zuckerman, Lisa Langang, and Latal Malad. And if you enjoy what you hear, please tell a friend, make a comment at Apple Podcasts, spread the word. It's all greatly appreciated. And as ever, if your inbox is lonely, sign up for the Pushkin newsletter at pushkin.fm slash newsletter. If you'd like to listen to more Pushkin podcasts, and there's some great stuff happening, we got deep cover. You can go back in time and listen to Death of an Artist, which is a fantastic show. Lots of good stuff. Loudest Girl in the World, Story of the Week. You can listen and find them on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening to the end. Bon voyage.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Dot com slash compatibility.